This morning I want to talk about how the praying church, the praying church, discovers God at work in both death and deliverance. The praying church finds God, discovers God, more of God, in both death and deliverance. It is, this, it is right here where we find, and you, you tell me if you agree, one of the most comical stories in the book of Acts, perhaps in the entire New Testament. Anybody else like in your groups comment about how this is like, I want to laugh. Am I allowed to laugh at this story? This feels a little sitcom-y here. There's a whole lot going on here that seems very funny. I don't know if it's like just like an objective describing of details or if this is like supposed to be funny. I, I, think you're, I think you're allowed to laugh. I think you should laugh. And I think Luke is actually intends it to be comedy. I think he intends it to be comedy. And I think it's not a stretch. I think it was comedy. Uh, I, I, all of it. So much of it is funny. I mean, here's the scene. Peter is placed in prison with 16 soldiers. Two, two of them are chained to him on each side of his body. Then there's layers of guards and gates... Each of those guards would be on three-hour shifts through the night to try to stay awake and have like an active awake guard or two or three or five uh, paying attention. And that uh, 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 in, in that ancient Near East world would actually be located right next to a Roman garrison with a garrison full of soldiers. So this is LDUI. This is maximum security prison. That's what this is for Peter. This is maximum security in the pit, solitary confinement, 15 layers deep. What are those Sylvester Stallone movies where you're like, well, they're like, he's like way down. He's got to like try to escape those things. Nobody saw that movie. Not a single person saw that movie. Should not have asked. Should not have asked. Escape something. I don't know what it was. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with an impossible. We're dealing with Mission Impossible here. Maximum security impossibility. The, just even the tension of that level of security for this person and the crimes accused of this person. That's comedy. It's, it's unrealistic. It's unnecessary. It exposes a lot about what they thought about him, what they thought he was capable of. And Peter, on the eve of his execution, laying chained between two soldiers, is sleeping peacefully. In a slumber. So much so that an angel with waking light could not wake him fully. Kicking him, dragging him through a prison, and it wasn't until he got out of the prison that he was like, oh, oh, I think I'm ready. I think we're good. I think I'm, I'm, I'm here now. I'm here now. I'm here now. That's how sleep, that's how much sleep, that's how deep of sleep, on the eve of his execution, laying between two Guards, chained to them both, layers of maximum security. An angel appears, wakes him up, kicks him, get up quickly, put your shoes on, get, get your cloak on, get, get, your, get your stuff ready, fall, come this way, take a right through that door, take a left through, not that door, this door over here, come this way, come on, come on, come on. Gets him outside, and then he's like, oh my gosh, is this really happening, is this really happening? The point of the I think the point of the takeaway that the escape narrative those three or four verses Luke's point in like the way that it's told the details around how it's told the major takeaway is that Peter definitely did not escape prison 
He was ushered from prison the way a teenager is ushered to school at 7.45 in the morning. (laughs) There's middle schoolers in the room. You guys know. You guys know. Alarm goes off 6.45, snooze. You know, 6.55, snooze. 7.05, snooze. 7.15, snooze. Parents, mom or dad, and moms and dads can look at each other right now and have that awkward moment. Who's the one that does it? Get out of your bed right now. They're freaking out. Still doesn't get up. Snooze. Go down to the room. Rip the blankets off. Okay, I'll see you upstairs for breakfast in five minutes. Go upstairs. Get the breakfast ready. Still not up there. Come down. Still asleep in like the the 40-degree non-heated house in Florida in January. Literally kick them in in a gentle, parental, appropriate way. A soft kick. A loving kick. A kick with love. Get out of that bed, get up here, eat your cereal, eat your, with, eat, get, get all, actually all the cereal, eat all your meal. And then, go, okay, get your bag, you forgot your pants, go get your pants, get your pants on, you forgot your shoes, go get your shoes on. One, this was me growing up, I'm not calling out any middle schoolers in the room, you guys can self-analyze, self-diagnose, this was me growing up, like literally carried out. Now, did that child go to school? Or was that child carried to school by the merciful, loving power of another, of someone else. This is the point. Peter did not escape from prison. He cannot take any glory from this escape. Not any, not a single, he cannot take responsibility for this escape. Not a single part of it. Not the idea behind it. He didn't even open a single door. He can't even, he can't even go to Rhoda's house and say, look, the angel did like 85% of them, but I met him 15% of the way. I was strong enough to get that one gate. He can't even do that. He can't even say that. 100%. Glory of God, majesty of God, rescue of God, power of God, knowing of God, uh, uh, sovereignty of God, love of God, care of God. Nothing to do with him. He was barely conscious. He didn't even know he was conscious until the end. God miraculously brings Peter out of the prison and Peter goes straight to the believers who are in the middle of a prayer meeting interceding for Peter for his liberation, for his freedom. And he knocks on the gate in the middle of this prayer meeting, and Rhoda comes running from the prayer meeting, doesn't open the door because she doesn't want to create a line of sight to the prayer meeting because that's a security risk, so she just has to listen to the voice. She, and she, she's positive, this is Peter, Peter's right outside, let's let him in. But instead of actually letting the escaped convict blocks away from a Roman garrison in a maximum security prison... Instead of letting him inside, just leaves him outside. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Runs to the prayer meeting. It's he's outside. He, this is amazing. So good. And the prayer meeting, which is actually praying for the liberation of Peter, actually disbelieves the answer to their own prayers. Yeah, we're asking for Peter to be liberated, but he wouldn't actually be liberated. <laughs> what are you talking this is, we're just having a prayer meeting here. Like, there, we, don't, we don't actually think God would actually do what we're saying. We're just, this is what we do. We do these prayer meeting things. So much so that they're like, look, we, we get it. We get you're very convinced. But before it would actually be, before God would actually answer our prayers, it's probably just an angel visiting that has the voice of Peter or the likeness of Peter or something like that. Like, that's a more plausible reality <laughs> to adhere to. Instead of, God answered our prayers that we're praying right now. They would believe that first. Other than, God is actually 
God, God has actually moved in the cosmos. He has, he has stood from his throne in response to the words that have actually been brought by his people in this space, in this living room. And he's moved heaven and earth, light, wind, consciousness, time, physical, every, every barrier to bring this person to us. That's actually like less believable somehow than some angel being outside. It's his guardian angel. And eventually they finally go check. Maybe there's something to this. And yeah, it's actually Peter standing outside, the escaped convict that you left outside for 20 minutes while you tried to decide whether or not this was real. Guys, it is comical. It is funny. And I think it's intentionally placed. You see, this story is powerful, it's miraculous, and it's hilarious. And we come away from the story, because of, because of how it's written, the flow of how it's written, you come away from the story in awe of the sovereignty of God, that, that, that God is in control of all things, that he knows all things, that he's powerful over all things. It's so miraculous and so hilarious that you might actually forget the devastation of the first three verses. And the problem that those verses cause the rest of the narrative you see, James, the brother of John, the, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, as they were named by Jesus. He was one of the inner three. He was one of the closest to Jesus. He was one of the earliest disciples, one of the longest walking with Jesus. Killed by decapitation by a sword as a helpless enemy of the state. And we see God's sovereignty and power and love and justice and deliverance at work with Peter. But at the same time, we see it absent in James. And we see that we see this prayer meeting for the deliverance of Peter and the joy of that prayer being answered. But we don't get to see the prayer unanswered. You better believe they were praying for James. And I wonder if they struggled to accept that Peter was standing outside because James died. And it hurts so bad to believe that James would be delivered. We cannot believe it again. We won't. We'll believe something else before we're disappointed in that way. We see God's sovereignty and power at work in such a powerful way in Peter, and yet we're left with the question of why, 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 why God, not with James? Why is Peter delivered but James killed? Is God not powerful enough to do both? He only has so much power to work in certain situations. Is he not all-knowing? Was he surprised by the situation with James? Did it happen too fast? He couldn't really react to it? Or is he just not fair, not good to come and deliver James from that moment? This is the core paradox. This is the struggle. Does God have the power to protect all followers of Jesus from hardship and suffering? Yes. Yes, he does. Does God always save followers of Jesus from hardship, suffering, and death? No, he does not. Uh-uh. And what do we do with that? I'd like to do a fun little, uh, fun little activity together. I don't know if it'll be fun. This, let's, let's, this little rope I have laid here, I tried to put it from your right to your left, like reading, and my right to, I don't know what I just said, but um, let's say from this way to that way, this is like the, the history of time. This is a timeline of history. 
And as, as Genesis would say, and as John would say in his book, in the beginning, in the beginning. And then you have somewhere along here, you have Abraham, and you have Isaac, and you have Moses, and you have the Exodus. Somewhere around here, you have you know, ancient Near East history in the New Testament. Somewhere along here, you have European history, and eventually you come all the way to this little this little piece of tape right here, this little piece of duct tape, this is your life. This is your life and this is my life. If you can see, you come, come right along here and you have your first, your first nibble of avocado when you were a child, right there. That little wrinkle, that little wrinkle. And then you went to prom, that was so good when you went to prom right there. You got your first job, you held on to it for six months, and you went to... You come along here, and that was that your your first time taking a risk, your first little microchurch. There she is. You remember that? That was crazy. That season of life. Eventually, you're going to come along, and you're going to retire and play shuffleboard at a at a home with some friends in this room, maybe friends in this room. <laughs> so you get, and eventually, right there at the end of that tape line, that's where you that's where you die. That's death. This is your this is gasp, plot twist, plot twist. This is this is where you die. And according according to uh, uh, scripture, according to the history of redemptive legacy, what happens is if if in this span you realize that you are like that you're broken, that you're you're deeply depraved, that you're you're a part of a history that has betrayed God, and you have culpability in that betrayal. And that this man, Jesus, actually came to live a perfect life and to, to orchestrate and inaugurate the kingdom of God, to usher in the kingdom of God. And part of the way that he's breaking that kingdom of God in is actually to go to the cross to die a death that you deserved and I deserved. And that we actually have culpability, responsibility in that death to pay for the past future sins of every single person individually in this room and the collective systemic sins of people. And to make a way for people to be reconciled with God. To give of himself to make a way to be reconciled with God. And if you would trust him as your master, leader, listen to him, and, and, and completely trust him, not just with your now, but with your future forever, that you'll actually be reconciled with God and ushered into the kingdom of God of eternity, new heavens and new earth. And that that would become, start to become true right now, but that actually when, you're, when your body dies, you enter into resurrection. Resurrection life. You enter into the possibility, the promise, the victory of resurrection. So this little end point here actually becomes just this, uh, this transition. Sometimes Paul calls it sleep. The people fell asleep. But they're going to awake to the new heavens and the new earth. They're going to awake to eternity with God. What's described as like every, every, every tear will, will, will be wiped away. There will be no more pain, no weeping, no gnashing of teeth. There will be no more injustice. Every wrong will be made right by the judge who will come and restore his kingdom on this earth. And we all get to actually share in that, live in that glory of the eternal kingdom, worshiping at the throne. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Worshiping him for eternity. And we get to enjoy that eternity of no weeping, no gnashing, no, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. Every right, everything right, being close to God, in, in close fellowship with His Son, 
in Trinitarian fellowship, in beauty and glory and majesty forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This never stops. This defies time and space. It actually defines a linear rope like this. It defies time and space to be actually in fellowship, intimacy with God forever and ever and ever. For every soul to be quenched and find the fullness of who we are in abundant life in Him forever and ever and ever. Now, if, you, if you're looking at like time and redemption and human history that way, do you remember your little, little life that we have here? Try asking the question again. Try asking the question again. Is God actually no longer good? Is his goodness and his fairness in question? Because he delivered Peter from a prison here. Here. But he allowed James to be ushered into this forever. Is God's goodness and justice and righteousness still in question in the same way? See, why is Peter delivered and why is James killed? There's actually no logical answer to this question because God has actually undone the terms of death and pain and suffering. He has altered the terms themselves to where that question actually no longer has any base in logic or rationale. None. The question falls apart. You see, God doesn't just miraculously deliver Peter. He also miraculously delivers James. And God is not only glorified in Peter, He is also glorified in James. Because in Christ, God has undone the very meaning, the cosmic meaning of pain and suffering and death. Paul says it this way. He says, to live is Christ. To live is intimacy with Christ. To live is to share in the sufferings of Christ. To live is to enjoy Christ. To live is to follow Christ. To to live is to be underneath the same cross. To pick up the cross with Christ. And yet to die is gain. To die is to level up. To die is more, not less. To, to, To die is added something, not taken away. He even goes farther and says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. He even says that, that, that the, the suffering we experience now is not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So suffering is a cause for rejoice. It's an opportunity for intimacy with Christ, to share with the sufferings of Christ. It is not even worth comparing with future glory. glory. It produces in us fruit, and in, in death we simply gain more life. More life, true life, abundant life in a way that we've never had. You see, friends, we exist in actually the best win-win situation the world's ever known. This is why Luke barely gives three verses to the death of James or to the church's response, to the church's sorrow, to the church's prayer meetings, to the church's questions. I think it's because it just isn't a problem for them. And I think this is precisely why he responds to the death of James with comedy. The moment of perhaps the most comedic passage in in Acts is right at this place, right here. 
because in the power of the resurrection, in view of the kingdom of, of God, in, in a perception of death that is aligned with uh, the kingdom of God and eternal glory, death has become a laughing matter. Death has become, to, to disciples, within view of the kingdom of God, death has actually been scorned. It has been undone. And we reap the rewards of its powerlessness and we laugh at its attempts to silence us, control us, minimize us, erase us. Death cannot control you. It cannot silence you. It cannot minimize you. It cannot erase you. Because it could not minimize, silence, erase Jesus. And we live now in that legacy, in that victory, where death no longer has a hold over you or me or us as a collective as it once did. And it never will. Because just like this story, Jesus will be vindicated in every situation where his leadership is threatened. Oftentimes to the embarrassment of fake kings wielding fake power, trying to control with the threat of death that we no longer care about. And so will God deliver you from all difficulty, hardships, or suffering in your life? As a microchurch leader... As a missionary, I can't stand here and tell you that God delivered Peter from his hardship, so he's going to deliver you from yours. That God delivered, as long as you, you just have a prayer meeting behind you, you'll conquer everything, everything's going to go well, you know, you're going to be delivered from anything hard because that's cheap and it's not true, it does not consider the first three verses, and we know it, we know it. You just skim the New Testament and that can't be true. Why didn't God deliver Stephen from being stoned in Acts 7? Why didn't God deliver James from the sword in this text? Why didn't he deliver Paul from shipwrecks and whippings and Peter from eventual martyrdom on a cross and John from his exile? You see, this text has better news for us than that. That's cheap news. God will get rid of every hardship and pain in your, in your life, right? Like you just get a prayer meeting around you and everything go well. Guys, that's cheap news. God has better news for you. Bigger news for you, more glorious news for you, more majestic news for you. You know what that news is? It's that God is sovereign over life and death. He is sovereign over perseverance and pain. And He has undone the effects of pain, suffering, trials, and death for all time. That's better news, bigger news, more glorious news, more radical news. He has turned suffering into blessing and death into victory. And when we gaze upon the inescapable sovereignty of God, our fear in that place, gazing on his majesty, our fear is just dissolved. Where is there room for fear in this? Where is there room? When we find rest in the sovereign love of God, knowing he's in control of all things, knows all things, has power over all things, he is the one who has turned suffering into blessing and death into victory and funerals into celebrations. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. God yearns to deliver us from our fear in the same way that he delivered Stephen from the fear of stones and delivered James from fear of that sword and delivered Paul from fear of whips and chains and delivered Peter from fear of crucifixion and gave him a good night of sleep right before his execution and, and delivered John from fear of exile. And so there we sat about three years ago in the, in the dining room of Jack and his wife and his two boys at the dinner table eating a traditional Pakistani cuisine meal and hearing the difficult struggles of Jack and his wife and the two sons returning in three months to a situation that was complex, that was full of pain. 
and returning with uncertainty about how we would provide for his family. And as he, as he explained why it was, I started to press, what are the jobs that you're applying for? What's the outlook? Or you got like no luck here? And he started to explain the job application process. He explained the reason why he did not yet have a job is because on every single job application in that part of the world, you'll find a question that you might not find on job applications in this part of the world. It is, what is your religious affiliation? And every single follower of Jesus in that part of the world that's trying to apply for the job hits that question, and it's an immediate ethical conundrum. I mean, it's immediate complexity. And if people handle it differently, it's like, it's just ink on paper. It doesn't mean anything. I have to take care of my family. And sometimes people take care of it a different way, respond to it differently. And I was like, man, man, what do you do? Uh, and internally, I just have to be honest with you. I have to confess, like internally, I was like, dude, just write whatever you need to write. <laughs> internally, that's what I'm thinking. But I'm not saying out loud what I'm thinking internally. I'm just kind of like, what are you like? How have you been handling that? And like dozens, dozens, dozens of, of of applications. And he was like, man, I look at that thing, and I pray for the employer who is going to receive it. And I write Christian, and I send it off. You understand one, that's a surefire way to never get a job, and two, it's a surefire way to get yourself killed. And he writes Christian and sends it off over and over and over again. And I was like, um, can we talk about that? Like, <laughs> can we talk that out? And he, he said the reason he doesn't is, is not actually from like a principled place, like, I have to do this, it's right. He said it's because this is my way to actually declare to every single employer that death will not control me. And, some, and somehow the, the threat of death has been undone for me. And so I'm actually free to write this, not from like a principled place, but because who cares? What are you going to do to me? What are you going to do? And for them to receive that and think, there's something going on here. Nobody does this. There's something going on here. He sees it as witness. He sees every time he puts pen to paper on that question, on that line, he sees it as prophetic witness to every single person who would receive that paper and look at it. Guys, Jack is at rest. He's at rest. He's at peace. He could take a nap between two soldiers. He's at rest. And he's at rest because he knows, he knows, he knows the sovereign love of God. He rests in the sovereign love of God and in resurrection power. Certainly God might not be calling you to apply for jobs in another country or to suffer for him in prison or to stare down the possibility of whips and chains or shipwrecks and exile but he may well be calling you to give your life as a love offering to a certain people, to a certain place. And guys, you know, if you say yes, it's going to cost you. Every time. It doesn't matter who it is, where it is, how many people it is. It does not matter. It's going to cost you. We all know it. We all know it. Maybe it's your coworkers and clients 
Maybe it's a call to let your faith invade your vocation a little further. Maybe it's gang-affiliated youth and trying to figure out and experiment with God. Give your life as a sacrificial offering to that which He's called you to. Maybe it's foster kids. Maybe it's foster parents. Maybe it's a certain boys and girls club or a certain jail. Or maybe you're simply called to hang out with the regulars at a, at a weird breakfast place on a corner of town. Guys, it can be anything because the scope of God's creative calling on your life and on the creative mission of the church is limitless. And yet the transcendent common thread for every single person who says yes to him, there will be a cost. There will be a cost. There will be trials. There will be pain. And yet we live in the best win-win situation this world has ever known. We don't simply look forward to a clean, cushy life, but we actually discover more of God actually in the pain, in the cost. More intimacy with God, more joy, somehow more perseverance, more endurance, more of Him, more, more of Him, more of His glory, His majesty, more of Him in and through us in the world in those spaces. More of it. Friends, isn't it good news that in this mission we have nothing to fear? Nothing to fear. Nothing. Because we are invited to rest in the sovereign love of God where death is undone and pain can be trusted. It can be trusted. If the worship team would come up, I just want to end together as a community in this way. You see, it's not, it's, it's not any church. It's not any church that discovers more of God and God at work in both death and deliverance, it is the praying church. It is the praying church that discovers more and more of God in both death and deliverance. Every glimpse that we have of the people of God in the midst of God-glorifying death and God-glorifying delivery is a glimpse of people caught up in intimacy with God through prayer. Caught up in God, in the space of prayer. I think it's in prayer where we actually discover, do the discovering. Apart from intimacy with God, separated from God, not depending on God, but depending on our own understanding and our, on our own strength, we're going to miss God in the pain, the struggle, the things He's calling us into. We're going to miss Him. And we're not going to be able to de decipher between the things that God actually wants us to go through with Him and the things that He actually doesn't doesn't want us in. He doesn't want us. He, he wants to deliver that right now, and we're not going to be able to see the difference. We're not going to be able to distinguish the difference with Him in that space. There's a new uh, microchurch that's been a part of the network for a few months. It's led by a guy named uh, Pastor James. I won't say any more of his name, but he's uh, he leads like a little bit of a network of house churches uh, uh, for Korean and uh, Chinese mostly people in the in Tampa Bay area. And they meet as a collective over in the hub every once in a while. You've probably seen them after Crucible. They're hanging out over there. They usually have lunch, uh, dinner after their after their little service over there amazing, amazing, amazing people. And uh, we've, we've, Pastor James has been here for a, about a year doing that. And he got, the way he landed over here is because he spent many, many years actually pastoring underground churches in China. Actually spent some time incarcerated. 
And so, guys, we and he wound up stateside. He's doing a bunch of ministry stateside with uh, uh, Korean people, Chinese people in the area. So you need to understand, we have some a leader from the present-day modern underground church residing currently in the underground church. Do you understand? And I can't tell you how intimidating it was to sit down with him and for him to say, tell me more about your underground church. Pat, pass. Pass. But guys, I just told him a little bit about us, about like who we are, what we do. And I told him that like the reason we have the name Underground, what that means is like we're actually trying to honor people like you in the world. That we're trying to learn actually from people like you in the world. And learn and be in submission to people like you and your legacy in the world. And guys, he loves this community. I think it was like one of the best, the best like gifts that somebody gave was sitting down and being some, somebody from that kind of space saying, this is amazing. And I, I don't know if you saw, but maybe two or three weeks ago in, in China, they did this like mass arrest of Christians. You, you probably saw that. And immediately some of the staff were, were texting me like, Does anybody, because Pastor James' uh, wife had just returned to China uh, because she oversees a student ministry of African students, African nation students on college campuses in China. This is crazy. <laughs> and she returned to just oversee some of that ministry. And while she was there, that's when it happened. And I just, I, I talked to him a little bit and just said like, hey, how do you, do you guys know of like anybody over there? How can we be praying or whatever? And he said, yeah, I think there's like a few, a few people that we know. They're, he wasn't sure. It's hard to communicate. So he was like, there, there was probably a few people that we know. Um, but he said, he said, pray for them to discover more joy in the midst of it. He did not say, pray for them to be released. He said, pray for them to find more joy in the midst of it. Coming from someone who's been in it. And I was just kind of like, I think there's more things we could pray for. <laughs> there's more. There's a few more. There's a few more. And you know what? That week, last, last week, I was building out an office in the hub. We just found like a little, like we do in the underground, we just found a little hole and we built it into an office. And I was com coming in in the morning, 5.30, 5.45, 6 in the morning, trying to work on that until people got in because I didn't want to be too loud. I had no idea, guys. He, he beat me to the office every single day. He's in the back in the prayer area of the hub. Guys, I'm telling you, every day, 5.40, 5.45. Sometimes by himself, sometimes with two or three, three people. And he's just praying and singing. Praying and singing. Praying and singing. Praying and singing. For two hours usually. Every day. Praying and singing. Praying and singing. Praying and singing. You know somebody who knows how to discern what God is doing in pain and suffering and trials and when God actually wants to deliver pain, suffering and trials? It's somebody like James. It's somebody who's, who's so connected, so intimate he can see he can he's, he can see what God is doing in the space of somebody's life and knows how to how to contend with God for the delivery of someone because it's not right and you won't stand for this God you will undo that situation i know you will i know you will and sometimes to be able to say that God what you're doing in the life of that person in the midst of that trial God keep doing it you keep doing that the way you're deepening that person's life, growing that person in endurance, 
perseverance. You keep doing that. You keep defeating pain, the point of pain, by what you're doing in that person's life in the midst of it. He, he gets it. And guys, that's so inspiring, just seeing him in the office every day. And the way he's, he's, not just, he's not just waging war and prayer. He's singing and laughing and smiling as a protest to death and imprisonment. I won't even frown. I won't even cry because you will not win prison, imprisonment and death and the state. You will not win. You can't win because we already won. We already won. And we live in the victory now. And you do what you want and God will turn it for good. You keep trying. You keep trying. We can only trust pain and celebrate victory over death to the degree that we are connected to the Sovereign One. To our Redeemer who has made a mockery of death and is sovereign over all of life. And it's in prayer that we discover trust in troubled times. And it's in prayer that God delights to deliver us from trials that are not ours to walk through but His to defeat. So like the believers, let's pray with expectation and invite God's supernatural faithfulness into this living room, into your living room, into every living room, into this house. So as we come to the table this morning, I want to invite you this morning and every Sunday morning that follows to both Come come this morning for communion as, as a community to come together and to as a community to proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus until he returns. And then after community communion to remain standing for worship. And we're going to have prayer ministry available every single Sunday. On the outside aisles, but also up, up here, there will be people standing that are waiting to pray for you. And we just want to make that available for every Sunday. But this morning particularly, I want you to come to prayer ministry to labor with God for deliverance from that which is not yours to walk through. And at the same time, to trust, to trust His sovereign care and love until it is delivered. Amen. And to be honest with you, you can come and get prayer for whatever you want. Whatever's burdening you this morning. There's always opportunity to respond to the word this morning. But we'll pray for whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for you, whatever you need. And so this morning as we come to the table as a community, we come remembering the cost to defeat death. The cost to live in resurrection power and victory. The cost for us to rest in the sovereign love and care of God. It cost Christ his body, his life, his blood, his forsakenness for him to forsake death for us. And so this morning we come and we remember on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. When you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and poured it out, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, family, come and remember, remember, come and tangibly remember that death has been defeated. It cannot control you. It cannot silence you. It cannot minimize you. 
It cannot cause you to fear. There is no room. But God's glory and majesty is bigger, 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 bigger. And he wants you to come and find rest in his sovereign care. So come this morning, the elements given for you.